Good evening and welcome to another edition of BAMS Radio. Uh, if you're a long-time listener, you will recognize the dulcet tones of my voice, but uh, I have to say, I am not our normal host. He is off covering high school basketball today, but he did give me a score prediction for the upcoming Iron Bowl. I am the producer. They let me out of the cage. It's game on now for BAMS listeners. I am Thomas Watts. I generally produce, but now I'm hosting this evening. I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trades. Just only two of us this evening, so I only have my other compadre. Uh, let me see if I can remember Drew's intro when William can correct me after I do it. Uh, offensive <laughs> lineman from 1989 to 1993, member of the 1992 National Championship, Alabama Crimson Tide, William Redfish Barger. Did I get right, Redfish? Sounds good to me. I mean... I got to get something right today, so happy days there. But you know, <laughs> you Fish, go. great to be with you tonight. Uh, how, how you feeling? You, you got all your turkey and your stuffing and all your food ready for your food coming tomorrow, or are we we holding off on that? I got to be honest, Thomas. I uh, I'm off all week, so I I actually got a jump start on tomorrow afternoon and took a nap today. So oh. I'm, uh, I'm I'm good to go. I have to admit, I, I took a chunk of the afternoon off to help my mom cook. So we've got a rum cake, and we've got spinach madeleine, and we've got dressing, and we've got all this other. You walk into the kitchen of my hold, mother's hold, house. Hold up a second now before I forget. What, fill me in on the spinach madeleine. I've never heard of that. Uh, spinach madeleine is essentially a take on cream spinach where it's you, you take spinach and you like stir in Mexican Velveeta and spices and whatnot, and you add breadcrumbs on the top, and you bake it. So it's a hot spinach kind of cheesy dish. I'm going to have to try that out. That sounds good. Well, I, I, if other listeners want the recipe, just hit the Bam, <laughs> at the BAMS Radio Twitter account. I'll send you the recipe via text message, and we'll, we'll have a Thanksgiving hootenanny courtesy of BAMS Radio. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you know, we do have, all joking aside, tryptophan-induced comas to – Putting 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 those to the into the back into the back burner real quick. We have a somewhat large upcoming rivalry game with the Auburn Tigers this Saturday, and you know let's before we get into that though, uh, you weren't with us last week. Real life happened to you, so let, let's let's just give you give you five minute spiel. What were your thoughts coming out of both the Mississippi State and the Western Carolina game from what we saw from the Alabama Crimson Tide over the past couple of weeks? Uh, you know, I mean, obviously the, the the biggest story of the last couple of weeks, I'm sure, has been you know discussed ad nauseum. But um, you hated to see you know Tua Tagovailoa's career end the way that it did at Alabama. Um, you know, he's he's been a a, a great uh, part of the program. Certainly, somebody that's going to be splattered all over the passing uh, you know record books. Um, you know, and you. you that that's just the the reality, Thomas, of you know big time college football. Sometimes somebody's talents um, get overshadowed and and outweighed by their um, by their bodies. You know, it happens to every athlete in every sport. Um, you know, you saw what happened to you know Tiger Woods' golf career for years and years with with injuries and and how that kind of you know derail a career very quickly. You know, hopefully this is something that. Um, you know, once the, the rehabilitation process is complete, it's not going to be a, a lingering issue. It sounds like from a medical standpoint, the doctors feel pretty confident that it won't. But, um, you yeah, know, that was a, 
you know, kind of a tough pill to swallow and something that was hard to watch. Um, and then, of course, the, the ensuing um, armchair medical opinions that started flooding social media and, and the radio and, and TV and, um, you know, with everybody trying to compare it to, you know, a Bo Jackson injury that, that took place, you know, almost 30 years ago. And, um, you know, things have come a long way since then. And luckily for, for Tua's, you know, professional aspirations it has. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think he's been a great, great um, contributor to Alabama football. Um, you know, certainly just, you know, got a worlds of talent. You know, I think, you know, probably the best, you know, compliment that he can receive from, from his coaches and his teammates is what a great teammate he's been um, and leader. So, um, you know, it's well, we talk about this on the show all the time, but, you know, it applies to the quarterback position as well. You know, when, when somebody goes down, uh, you know, the next man up has to step up and produce to the best of their capabilities. And I think, um, you know, certainly you saw Mac Jones do that in his second career start last week versus uh, Western Carolina. You know, he he did a very good job of distributing the ball to the playmakers, which he has quite a few around him in that offense. Um, you know, Najee Harris continued to kind of establish himself, um, you know, as, as the, the keynote uh, playmaker in an offense that's surrounded with playmakers. I think he's, you know, continuing to do it on the ground and in the air. Um, you know, he's kind of a jumbo version, I guess, in my opinion now, of, of Jalen Waddle. I mean, he can do it in multiple ways. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, as you, you kind of put Mississippi State and, and Western Carolina in the rearview mirror and, and look ahead to what's in front of this team this Saturday, um, you know, certainly I think that's always going to be the um, – you know, the, the biggest part of this rivalry, certainly this Saturday's got, you know, future ramifications wrapped around it. But, you know, certainly it's it's bragging rights for, um, you know, the two schools that live in this state and, and the fan bases and the players. I mean, this is one of those games that if you ever participate in it, you remember every single play, um, you know, for the rest of your lives. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough as a redshirt freshman um, to start the very first, you know, Iron Bowl that I was eligible to play in um, in 1990. And, and I can, you know, remember it like it was yesterday. You know, it was back when, you know, for, for us old folks, uh, back when Alabama played their big games at Legion Field, that one took place there. And, you know, I think ended a four- or five-game losing streak to Auburn. And, you know, it came at the end of the season that was certainly a disappointment, one that was, you know, marred by several season-ending knee injuries to key contributors on the offensive side of the football. So, um, you know, we, we kind of went into the, the postseason on a high note and then proceeded to wander out into the desert of Tempe, Arizona, and get our heads caved in by the Louisville Cardinals. So that, that enthusiasm went out the window real quick, and we were reminded uh, not about the Iron Bowl victory, but the – embarrassing loss to Louisville the whole offseason and spring practice leading up to the first game of 1991. So it's, it's a big game for, um, you know, every person that lives in this state. I think it's one of the, you know, the biggest rivalries in college football on an annual basis. I think, you know, what, what makes it such a great rivalry is it doesn't matter if both teams go into this game undefeated or, um, 
you know, if, if one team is riding high and the other one's kind of had a, a struggling season, you never really can predict who the winner is going to be. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people, when you look at the way Vegas feels about this game, uh, you know, going into Saturday, certainly they've got some question marks. And, you know, we can discuss what some of those question marks might be. I think I've got a couple, you know, that are, um, you know, on, on my mind as well as we go into Saturday's matchup. Looks like it might be a, a wet one. I have to admit, I've been keeping an eye on the weather report. And one of the things, uh, just to to explain some stuff to our listeners, if you look at statistics, at this point, pretty much everybody has played 11 games. And this rivalry weekend, the last weekend of the regular season, is the 12th data point. And so when you have all these games, you can kind of get lost in a slurry of data. Like some of the, some of the, essentially because you're trying to look at everything, you can lose some of the minutiae of each game. And one of the things I said about the LSU-Auburn game, LSU would win that game in Death Valley 23-20, to is that that game was kind of a statistical red herring because LSU ended up racking up 508 yards but Auburn was able to turn it into mud ball because it was not very good weather that afternoon in uh, Baton Rouge. I wasn't sure that was going to hold for the Iron Bowl. Now, obviously, Tua versus Mac, you know, or Tua versus Joe or Mac versus Joe. You know what I'm talking about. But the weather is going to have an influence on this game. And, you know, obvious question is how do you, why do you say that? Auburn... And there's a question coming, William, I promise. Auburn wants to play in a box defensively. You know, Mac Jones is going to have to compete against a very good Auburn defense. Well, a very good Auburn defensive line. The rest of the defense, you know, I, I whatever. What, no, no, nobody else outside of the Auburn defensive line would even touch the field for the Alabama Crimson Tide. But anyway, Auburn, the way Auburn wants to defend you is put you in a box and they want to make you drive the entire length of the field. And so that starts with pressure on the, def- the defensive line so you can't get long-developing long pass plays. And once you throw a pop pass or you throw a slant or you throw a screen or you throw any of the short to low-intermediate stuff, Auburn wants to come up make the tackle. If you do that two or three times in a row, you get a first down, we go back and play the next down. When you get down in between the 20s, it turns into mud ball, and the Auburn defense can swarm you. So the weather is a very concerning factor because it's going to slow everything down and will sort of play into a mud ball sort of game, should it come to pass. I mean, the weather, uh, I can say with a straight face that I've written a paper on the chaos of, that you, uh, on, a, on a mathematical formula of the chaos of weather. So I, I'm just going to say there's, I'll take that with a grain of salt. Just just read it if you want to go really, really crazy with math. But anyway, William, my question to you, your former offensive lineman, Auburn has at least one first-round draft pick, if not two, in Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson on the interior of the Auburn defensive line. How does this Alabama offensive line have to prepare, and what do you expect for this group when, frankly, they haven't seen a better defensive line this season you know what are your expectations for this Alabama offensive line group going into the Iron Bowl 
Well, you know, if you'd asked this question in November of 2018, 17, 16, 15, I'd have told you they probably would have seen comparable defensive line talent every day in practice. But uh, I think that's not the case this year. Um, you know, there there might be two first-round draft picks on Alabama's defensive line, the two deep defensive line over the next two or three years, but I don't think there's two there currently. Um, and certainly I agree with your uh, – analysis that this is going to be the most talented defensive line you know and I, I think it extends beyond Davidson and Brown I think they've got some really good players um on their 2D defensive line that's one of the reasons why they they've you know been been as competitive as they have been in, in most of their games this year um is they you know have the ability to keep those guys fresh and uh you know, both Davidson and Brown have, you know, you can tell that this is their money year for the NFL draft, and you don't see plays getting taken off. They're both playing, you know, with, with a lot of energy and enthusiasm and effort. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, both of those guys can be very disruptive, especially when they're on the field at the same time. It, it, you know, makes it pretty much impossible to double-team one of them. And, you know, you've seen – you know, just about every offensive line that they've played against this year struggle at times to uh, slow those two guys down. And, and so, it, you know, it, it's problematic from a, a matchup standpoint. Now, I will say this. I think Alabama um, is probably going to match up better than, you know, you know, especially when you consider the injuries that Georgia went into that game with um, two weeks ago against them. Um you know, I think Alabama's pretty healthy along the offensive line. I think they've gotten a lot of experience, um, especially with the starting five that they've put on the field Saturday, um, you know, since the month of October. So, you know, they're, they're going to get Alabama's offensive line's best game. Um, you know, I'm sure Kevin Steele's going to, you know, do some stunning and slanting. And, you know, he, he does a good job of bringing blitzes. Kind of reminds me of Dave Aranda a little bit with, and, and maybe Brent Venerables with how he's gotten creative over the last couple of years with his blitz packages. So, you know, they're, they're going to have to play, um, you know, in, in a controlled manner and not get overextended, you know, on plays and, and get caught peeking and looking at, uh, you know, at the next level too quickly because they do do a lot of delayed blitzes and you can get caught with your pants down um, figuratively and literally um, if you get caught doing that. But, um, and, you know, and I think it's probably more at a premium this Saturday, um, Thomas, because that's that's one of my, I guess, questions on Alabama's side of the, the coin here going into Saturday is, you know, I think all season long when Mac Jones has played and even in his two starts, um, albeit this is going to be a big jump in competition, and, and also the, the bigger, you know, unknown here. Um, it's going to be an unbelievably hostile environment. And I think that's one of the unknowns going into this game Saturday that you certainly have to write down for Alabama is, you know, how, how's Mac Jones um, going to respond um, in a hostile environment when adversity strikes? And, you know, that can come in the, the form of a, of a bad pass on third down, um, you know, a turnover that's not his fault, a turnover that is his fault, you know, that can play out in a multitude of different ways. But I, to me, and I'm a huge Mac Jones fan, I, I've, I've watched this young man 
um, for the last several years quite a bit, um, especially in practice settings. And, and I think he's got, uh, you know, a, a lot of ability. Um, you know, I think Alabama's very fortunate to have a, a second-team quarterback. You know, I think everybody thought that, you know, with the de- <clears throat> excuse me, with the departure of Jalen Hurts, um, that, that this was going to be a big drop-off. And, you know, in different aspects, I mean, he's certainly not the runner that Jalen was, and um, he's certainly not the passer that Tua was. But I think when you put together the skill set that he does bring to the table, I, I think he's a very good SEC starting quarterback. I know a lot of teams would probably use him as their starter this year. But, you know, to me, Thomas, I think, you know, when, you, when you're talking about – you know, not just the Alabama offensive line versus this Auburn defense, but the offense in general. Um, I, I think the virtual unknown of how Max Jones is going to perform in a very, very hostile environment. Um, you know, they'd love nothing more than, you know, to derail what's left of Alabama's college football playoff hopes. And not to mention, um, after the way that game played out last year, um, you know, they're they're looking for revenge, and I'm sure they're going to be sky high. I agree with you that if it does turn into a mud bowl, that's probably a slight advantage to Auburn with, um, you know, with the way their defense plays, number one, but also with the struggles that they've had on, on their offense this year. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's an intriguing matchup. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to a really good football game, and I think it's probably going to be one. Well, uh, I – uh, now, I'm going to give you two answers to your or two replies to your good football game. And it comes down to how I view Alabama's college football playoff chances. Uh, obviously, Alabama, I think they got a big leg up with the Oregon loss to Arizona State. So now the pageant shifts from Oregon versus Alabama to Alabama versus Utah versus Oklahoma. And let you know, we can just I can briefly talk about all three of those to kind of contextualize my point. Now promise I'll bring it back to the Iron Bowl. What Alabama has done, with the notable exception of LSU, is utterly destroy teams. But they've utterly destroyed teams with Tua Tonguavailoa. Which brings the obvious question, is Alabama still the dominant force that they were throughout this season, LSU aside? with Mac Jones that they were with Tua. That's a question we won't know until, you know, probably about 8 p.m. Saturday evening, this upcoming Saturday. With Utah, Utah has been beating the snot out of people. They really have. They deserve a lot of credit for doing what they've done. But probably their best game, like the team that, the, the best team they've played was USC, and they lost to USC. Now, there's some mitigating factors there, but... Essentially, Utah has annihilated bad football teams, but they haven't played anybody that's even within the top 10 in the SEC, quite frankly. The Pac-12 is not very good. So you have that reality. Then you look at Oklahoma. Oklahoma has been absolutely killing people until about a month ago when Jalen Hurts had some fumbleitis and had some struggles, not just fumbles, but just offensive inefficiencies. And Oklahoma has been really struggling with teams that, talent for talent, they should smoke. Now, 
what does all this mean? Where, where, does, where am I going to drag this back to my original to my original Iron Bowl point? The long and short of it is, if Alabama escapes Jordan Hare with you know a twenty four twenty or a twenty one seventeen type win, that's probably going to torpedo their chances for the college football playoff. And the reasoning is thus: Alabama was dominant with Tua Tagovailoa. They were not dominant against Auburn. Now, there are some mitigating factors and some statistical nonsense you can do, but quite frankly, I don't expect the committee to get to that point because I have zero respect for the intellectual capacity of the vast majority of the committee. I wouldn't trust them to fold my underwear, let alone run a billion-dollar business. So Alabama's probably out if it's a quote-unquote, to use your words, William, and not, not, not mocking you, if it's a good football game. If uh, Saturday at 8 p.m. Alabama wins 38-21, 38-17, whole different ball game. That changes the answer to the Mac Jones question. So, you know, we we did just going back to our preview fish. Uh, we, we've done a lot of you know the question to me is what does Mac Jones look like in a very hostile environment? And the short answer is we don't know. We simply don't. I will say he's been put in kind of awkward positions coming in for Tua, and I think he's been found a little wanting, but understandably so. Let's go to the other side of the ball. And the storyline that's not getting a lot of play, but I think is one of those sneaky things that Alabama fans and really Auburn fans should wake up to, and it's injuries along the Alabama defensive line. Mississippi State not didn't just injure Tua Tonga-Vailoa. That injury, that wasn't the only injury then. Raekwon Davis, DJ Dale, two Alabama defensive linemen that are, fir- that are frontline guys. They had injuries. They did not play against Western Carolina. And they've been seen on the practice field, but they remain a question mark. So let's flip to the other side of the ball, William. You have this now set of questions for the Alabama defensive line. Auburn really wants to do power stuff. They want it. They their their offense is based off several compact running plays. How do you feel looking at the Alabama defensive line with their injury struggles over the past couple of weeks? You know, where are you on that for the Alabama defense? I'll, I'll take the the injuries on the defensive line out of the equation. To me, and and this is even a bigger bigger question mark than. You know how how is Mac Jones going to perform in a hostile environment? Um, even if Alabama was at full strength from a health standpoint on that side of the football, I think the biggest question mark is, you know, how is a defense that was utterly confused and played off of its feet versus LSU's eye candy, uh, misdirection, um, trickery, uh, you know. They, they got deceived by their eyes, not their ability, in, in a lot of cases, versus LSU and versus a lot of other teams this year as well. And, and we all know that that's kind of the you know ground zero for Gus Malzahn's offense. Um, you know, to me, that is the, the biggest. You know, if 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 if, if Alabama could play a really good football game defensively and hold Auburn to fourteen to seventeen points. Um, you, you know, then I think that you might want to crank up the college football playoff talk again. 
um, because I feel like Alabama will be able to score, you know, in the mid to upper 20s. Um, to me, the biggest question mark about this game, and it's been a question mark that we've talked about on this show, you know, since the Duke game, um, you know, can Pete Golding, you know, put a product on the field, whether it's at, you know, 50% health-wise on the D-line or 100% health-wise, that doesn't allow their eyes to deceive them and, and you know, follow their keys and, and, you know, do what they're taught to do um, and not have communication issues and mental breakdowns. Because if they can do that, then, then I think going back to your, you know, Utah and, and Oklahoma discussion with the playoffs will be in play Saturday night. If they can't, then I feel like this is going to be a nail-biter. Joy, nail-biter. Great. And, and uh, Drew and I talked. I've about, already clipped my. I've already clipped. My clipped mine today, by the way, so I won't have anything to buy. Ah, good, good. When, when I get the bloody nail picture from you on Saturday afternoon, I'll be like, <laughs> "Damn it, fish! What'd you do?" <laughs> yeah. Well, and this sort of brings up something that Drew and I talked about last week, and we we've we talked about like you said off and on, but I, I just want to get your your thoughts on it. You know, where is Pete Golding both in coming into the Iron Bowl and then moving forward into 2020. I know that Drew ha- is is off the Golding train. A bunch of people that I know that are big time Alabama fans are off the Golding train. You know, where are you on this defensive staff kind of jankiness that we've seen from the defense this year? Well, unlike Drew, I was never on the Golding train. I mean, I was willing to give him a chance, but, you know, all the people that, you know, felt like he was going to be a huge upgrade over Tosh Lapoy, um, I, I never bought into that um, just because he was able to have limited success for the uh, San Antonio Roadrunners or whatever they're known as. I think they're that, minors, that, but I, I don't know. They're, they're in that in – that, in that, bag of mascots that if you told me what it was i'd yeah. be like great i don't care coyotes roadrunners whatever they are dinguses dingoes um, that sounds good yeah <laughs> and, and, and and to be honest with you that my, my main reason for that premise is i was very disappointed with what he did with the inside linebackers just as a position coach last year i felt like you know when you look at you know Mac Wilson and Dylan Moses when both were at full strength and then I realized you know one if not both of them never really were last year you know he had two very good you know college football inside linebackers to work with and I felt like they went backwards um, over what they did the previous year and before anybody tries to say that I'm you know trying to you know, to Jeremy Pruitt's horn, yes, I am, because I don't think Pete Golding can carry Jeremy Pruitt's jock as a, as a linebacker's coach or a DB's coach or any kind of coach. Let me jump in real um, quick that, on that. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, anybody that thinks that Jeremy Pruitt is not the best defensive coordinator that Nick Saban has hired, Kirby Smart included, is insane. That, that, that there's, there's just no way you can make that argument. Kirby Smart's problem and to, in some cases, Pete Golding's problem is that they look at defense and they have their preconceived notions and they don't ever deviate from those preconceived notions. The scariest thing that the Georgia defense could have happen to them is to play somebody like LSU 
because that defense is not built to stop an LSU-type offense. It's just not how it's constructed from the inside out. Jeremy Pruitt understood the changing realities and put Alabama in a better position to defend those offenses, which, to me, are almost indefensible in most cases. But anyway, Fish, I had to jump in. I, I'm with you with Jeremy Pruitt is the best D.C. that Nick Saban's hired, but please continue your point. Hey, and let's, let's, you know, this is more than just an Alabama show. Let's, let's uh, remind all the people that thought Jeremy Pruitt wasn't going to escape the month of October as the head coach of Tennessee. And it, albeit it may end up right up the road at Legion Field, but uh, all of a sudden the fighting Pruitts are bowl eligible and uh, maybe looking at a seven win season this year and year two. So, um, you know, another feather in Jeremy Pruitt's crap, excuse me, cap for, uh, starting to turn a sinking ship back in the right direction. But, um, I, you know, I, and this, I, I, to go back to your, you know, direct question, I, I think Pete Golding's in trouble, um, you know, especially if the trend continues with, you know, his, you know, on paper, um, Alabama is, is more talented defensively than, than Auburn is offensively. I mean, there's, but that's certainly not a star-studded offensive line. Um, you know, there's not a game changer at running back for Auburn. Um, you, you know, Patrick Nix, you know, still at times is playing like a true freshman quarterback, but I, I, I tend to put um, Bo Nix, excuse me, I keep trying to call him his 50-year-old father. Um, <laughs> you played against him, so it, it fits. Who I'm a lot more familiar <laughs> with than, than, than young Bo. Um, but, but uh, um, you know, and, and I would say maybe outside of Seth Williams and, you know, from a size standpoint on, on uh, you know, maybe back shoulders or jump balls, you know, really and truly the biggest threat that I see, you know, the, the, you know as far as quick scores or game changers, you know, is the Olympic sprinter Swartz. I mean, that's certainly going to have to be, a you know, a priority for, uh, um, you know, Pete Golding to not let Swartz kind of changed the dynamic of that game early on like he did versus Texas A&M um, you know, out in College Station earlier this year. I mean, that was kind of a, you know, a sloppy, sloppy offensive uh, football game in the first quarter. And, you know, Swartz on, I think, a reverse or an end around, you know, changed the dynamic of that thing real quickly, and it got away from Texas A&M. But, you know, it, it's on every level of that defense, Thomas, that um, – I see question marks, you know, the, they're not as good against the run as they have been in the past. Um, you know, of course, the true freshman, you know, linebackers and the, you know, the eye candy problems, you know, there's a lot that can be said about that. Um, you know, the pass rush, which you and I have bitched and moaned about on this show. <laughs> organic pass rush? Game. Organic pass rush. Yeah. Organic pass rush? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah from, from anybody, from anybody. Um yeah, I'm, I'm I'm starting to uh, wonder if maybe the punter Piron can go out there and do it. There you go. Um, and, and you know, and, and really, what probably is you know the most talented and deep portion, um, you know, of that defense, the back end back there with the DBs, um, you know, for you know, is is this the same group that we've seen, you know, create turnovers and look magnificent at times like they did last Saturday, albeit, you know, that that 
that to me, I, I, I was laughing with a group of people when I, the, the Western Carolina quarterback threw his first interception. I think it was to Xavier McKinney or maybe I can't even remember, but when, when, you know, it looked like they were going to be able to flip the field a little bit uh, after the interception, I, I started watching the Western Carolina players and outside of the quarterback to a man, it looked like they were all running in quick creep. And I, I just got to laughing at the, the discrepancy in athleticism between the two teams at that point. But, um, you know, but when you look at Auburn's offense versus Alabama's defense, you just don't see a lot of glaring, you know, matchup problems. You know, the biggest matchup problem is Gus Malzahn versus Pete Golding, and can Golding coach a, a unit up well enough to not get deceived by their eyes Saturday? That's my biggest concern, you know, for this game. I mean, I think, um, you know, Patrick Sertan and Trevon Diggs can quiet um, – Seth Williams, even though he's, you know, a, a bigger guy than both of those two, he's not a 4-4 guy. And both of those guys, you know, are, are rangy and athletic. And I know Sertan's a 4-4 guy. I know Diggs isn't quite that fast, but still has some really good coverage skills when he's not matched up against an LSU wide receiver. Um, so to me, Thomas, that's that's the big, um, you know, nail-meet-hammer moment for Saturday to me is – and, you know, because to, to, for all of his shortcomings and, you know, we don't know at this point if this is going to be his last Iron Bowl or not, but Gus Malzahn, you know, has done a really good job as an offensive coordinator and as a head coach over the last, you know, almost 10 years now in the SEC on and off um, of, you know, out eye-candying a good, solid defense with lesser talent. And that's that's my biggest concern for Saturday. And, and that's one of the concerns I have, William. Uh, and w- I know we've said it in previous seasons, and it it absolutely bears repeating. The Auburn offense statistically is not very good. It's not very good because Bonix has legitimate trouble pushing the ball down the field. So a lot of defenses can put seven and eight men in the box, and I think Alabama's defense can do that. But here's the problem. And this is this is an inescapable problem to me because we've seen it. I remember last year, the year before, uh, three years ago. It's pretty consistent under Gus Malzahn. Just to buttress your point, there's a first quarter storm coming. There's nothing Alabama can do about it. There will be a certain set, a certain set of scripted plays that Auburn has repped repped to extreme to where they're very comfortable, whether it's jet sweeps or, you know, pop pass kind of stuff or flea flickers or whatever. It's a scripted set of plays that everybody on the Auburn offense is comfortable with. Last year, Alabama fans might remember that Auburn scored, I believe, the first touchdown against Alabama, a number one Alabama, on what amounts to a jet sweep motion that got called back because of a dubious though fairly accurate hold. One of those things where if you saw it live, you're like, really? You called that? But then you saw it in slow motion, you're like, okay, I see why you called that. Alabama's defense surviving that first, call it 15-play storm, is going to be a big deal. Because this is the kind of Auburn offense, I don't think it's fair to think they'll score more than three touchdowns in this game. 
I think the Alabama defense is good enough to hold Auburn to 17, 21. You know, something something in that in that range. You know, I don't want to I don't want to put a point score on it yet. We're going to give our predictions as we get out of here in a few minutes, but I think the Alabama defense is that good. But a cheap touchdown on an eye candy play, the calculus suddenly massively changes. And of course, should Auburn go up 7-0 over mighty Alabama in that hellhole down in Lee County, that place is going to get loud, it's going to get crazy, and suddenly the tryptophan-induced coma will be gone and game on. So, you know, with that said, you know, we talked about eye candy, we talked about the defense and issue, and we only have a few minutes left, and I, do, I did get a text message from Drew. He called us from the great beyond, a.k.a. whatever high school gymnasium he's watching basketball at. But with his score prediction, so, so William, two-part question. What is your score prediction for the Iron Bowl, and what is your biggest key for this game? Um, my score prediction is going to be Alabama 28, Auburn 17. Um but it wouldn't surprise me if it's not more like 34 to 17. Um, I'm just going to err to the side of caution. I'm, I'm still shell-shocked from the LSU, my LSU prediction and how that game turned out. Um, and, and we just got through talking about, um, I, I think the, the eye candy issue for the defense, in my mind at least, um, based on what I've seen from the Alabama defense this year versus what I've seen of Mac Jones, both in practice and when he's you know played in games, I think the eye candy issue certainly far outweighs how Mac Jones is going to respond. I, you know, I think Steve Sarkeesian will um, you know put a plan together to allow Mac Jones to to be comfortable and execute. And uh, you know the guy's got an arm um, where he can make all the throws. I, I think the the only thing um, you know, that he's got to get over those whispers in the back of his mind that he's always struggled with when, when something does go haywire, being able to bounce back quickly from it and move on to the next play. And I think at least in what we've seen him, um, seen of him this season, it looks like he's gotten over that hurdle. Um, but, but to answer your question, to me, the, the biggest, um, you know, unanswered question the the biggest unknown is you know can this Alabama defense at every level um you know can they uh, you know can the defensive line generate a pass rush you know can the inside linebackers you know not get tricked with the eye candy you know do the safeties bite on um what turns into a pop pass to the tight end down the seam um, the eye candy issue is, is what's got me a little anxiety-ridden at this point. Well, and I think that's completely fair. Don't get me wrong. Now, I, I might blow your prediction out in a second because I'm crazy like that. But uh, let's talk about Drew's prediction before I give mine. And there's, there's, I will, I will warn our listeners. There's a bit of rationale, a bit of crimson-colored glasses in mine. You know, one of the few times you'll see me say the hell with the stats. This is what I think. But, you know, foreshadowing. So, so from the great beyond, our, our, our good friend Drew DeArmond says, uh, 28-23 Alabama. Alabama with a five-point win. I mean, 
as an Alabama fan, I'm okay with that because one of my very good friends, we just sent him over to a local college of medicine to do his PhD. I taught him a lot of what he knows. He's an Auburn fan. He's an Auburn grad. So we haven't talked this week, but he's buying drinks should Alabama win. He just doesn't know it yet. Anyway, <laughs> the uh, he has Alabama 28-23 with the offensive MVP being Najee Harris and or Jalen Waddell. I, I, I don't really know how to read and or in a text message, but that's what happened. We'll go with it. And then on defense, Drew has Anthony Jennings as the defensive MVP. And to, uh, to close out the show, we'll get on out of here. I know it's a little bit shorter. I hope our, uh, our listeners will understand that you know, Drew's busy. I've got more cooking to do, and William's got more naps to take. You know, I yes, need, I do. I, was like, I need William's life. What am I doing cooking? What the hell? <laughs> hey, Thomas, whenever you get out into the, to the, the real world, of, and, and I don't know if you're going to end up being a professor or what, what your version of the real world is going to be, especially once you start staring down the barrel of uh, turning 50, you're going to start to realize, I, I can't tell this joke about there's three things that you never waste once you turn 50, but um, oh, you'll, you'll start to realize just how precious and what a hot commodity a hour and a half, two-hour power nap in the afternoon is. I, I don't – even now there are times where I'm like, I could use a nap. Might as well get a cup of coffee. But <laughs> that'll change. I, I bet that'll change in the next 20 years, but we'll see. Anyway, so let, let, I'll close out the show with my prediction for the Iron Bowl. I actually have Alabama 38-17, and I've really gone back and forth on that. And, and let, let's take one step back to take two steps forward. If you look at the line for the Alabama Crimson Tide, it's anywhere from two to four, depending on what sports book you go to. Alabama by two, Alabama by four. And from a mathematical perspective, it makes sense because we don't know about the defensive line. We don't know about the injuries. We certainly don't know about Mac Jones. And from a statistical perspective, part of Alabama's defensive dominance that I argued before the LSU game, and excuse me while I eat a mountain of crow pie again, was (laughs) that the defense didn't have to compete for any extreme length of time. Well, when they had to compete for an extreme length of time, they gave it 46. Anyway, I don't think the line's unfair. I think much more that the questions that underpin that line, how good is Mac Jones? How healthy is the Alabama defense? Can Pete Golding and crew come up with a plan for this defense to slow Bo Nix and the rest of the Auburn Tigers down on a consistent basis. I think that's going to be answered in the affirmative. Plus, I think Matt Jones is getting a bad rap. I do think that there were fair questions putting him in bad situations against teams like Tennessee or, you know, kind of the Arkansas game. It wasn't a bad situation, but Arkansas is so bad that I'm pretty sure that Hoover High School could beat them. That's a truly awful football team. But anyway, the thing that make, gives me confidence about Mac Jones is the story that Jared Maiden told, where Mac Jones kept throwing to Tyrell Shavers, and Nick Saban's like, Mac, 
what the ever-living crap are you doing? Stop throwing to this guy. And Mac Jones says back to Nick Saban, why don't you get your defense to be better? We're talking about a guy who has been in Tuscaloosa anywhere from six months to 18 months, depending on how you do the red, figure out the red shirt. He's staring down debatably the greatest coach of all time, being like, yo, your defense sucks. I'm going to keep taking advantage of it. Because that's functionally what he said. So I think Mac Jones rises to the occasion. And something we didn't talk about after the LSU game, and something that legitimately, like, tear off the crimson glasses, tear off the statistician that I I try and build myself into, and the stuff that just pissed me off going into the Mississippi State game was that Alabama didn't play with an edge against LSU. They they didn't, and and we can debate that. We can debate that offline. I don't feel like they did, and then you look at the Mississippi State game. Alabama's Alabama's offense was out for blood with Tua Tango-Vailoa, and they got it, 14-0 within five minutes. The Alabama defense, barring a freak face mask penalty on Raekwon Davis that I'm actually willing to accept because he was trying to make a play. Like, I'm one of those people that will excuse penalties if they're effort penalties. Like, if you're going for a sack and you catch someone's face mask, I wish you didn't catch someone's face mask, but you're you're putting in good effort, you're trying to do good, use good technique, and it just didn't work out. Okay, cool, rock on. I think Alabama, because of the loss to LSU, has finally coalesced and is going to play with an edge against the Auburn Tigers. What does that edge mean? That means that you stick Auburn starting 22 against Alabama starting 22, and Alabama has a decisive advantage, and that decisive advantage will carry the day in a big way. And then, next Wednesday comes around, I call William, I call Drew, and we have a 45-minute, why should Alabama not be included in the college football playoff? Oh, crap, do we really want to see a very, very good Ohio State Buckeyes team in the semifinals, well, you, you discussion next week. But to go back to, you know, I gave you my why. I gave you some context. I've got Alabama 38-17. Further than the experts predicted, kind of, kind of counter to that, kind of crimson glass, kind of crimson glassy. Excuse me, but I think the LSU loss galvanized this football team. And really, if you look at LSU, the problem was the dime package with Markel Benton. I don't know if Auburn's going to be able to force Alabama into their dime package very often. If Auburn does that, all bets are off. But I don't think they will. And I think Alabama's defense, which I will stump for until the end of time, has been a lot better than people think that is is going to be able to carry the day. And I think Steve Sarkeesian, which is something we've talked about on this show too, Sarkeesian has played, has not played, has called generally a virtuoso season. There are some points where he's had some low points. I think the, the, the bootlegs with Tua Tonga-Vailoa need to, need to pull, pull that back a little bit. That, that would be, that would be an off season scouting thing being like, what the hell are you doing? But 
by and large, Sarkeesian's been very, very good for this Alabama offense. In short, I talked about a storm coming for this Alabama defense. I believe there's a storm coming from Tuscaloosa to that hellhole in Lee County, and it's going to be 38-17, a year of bragging rights, and let me promise all our listeners something right now. Should that come to pass, I will be standing on every soapbox. I will be building soapboxes on top of soapboxes for Alabama in the college football playoff, and it will be vicious and savage and awesome. And courtesy of me, you will win all of your water cooler discussions because should 38-17 come to pass, it's no contest. Alabama is just straight better than Utah and Oklahoma. Anyway, Fish, we're getting near the end of the show. Do you have any other final thoughts before we get on out of here? No, man, I I really like your – uh, your mindset going into the game and, and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, optimistic and hopeful that it plays out that way. It's, uh, hard to believe that it's already time for the iron bowl and the regular season's fixing to be over with the season's just flown by, but I'm certainly looking forward to it. I mean, this is a big game and, um, like you just got through talking about with the college football playoff, Alabama still has a lot to play for. And, uh, you know, they've, historically shown over the last uh what are we in the sixth year sixth or seventh Something yeah like sixth year of the college football playoff um you know what what a what better way to start into december and the christmas season for alabama to backdoor their way into the college football playoffs once again and set set uh the college football world on their ears well uh, you know me. I've said on this show multiple times, I don't like the college football playoff format. I don't like the college football playoff committee. I think it's a bad solution to a pressing problem, but nobody asked me. Well, maybe maybe once I get the comma PhD after my name, someone will take me seriously. But until then, until then, Alabama has to take care of business this upcoming Saturday. And then, you know, jackasses like me that don't know when to shut up will stump for this team until the end of time. But that is our show. A little bit shorter. You know, we cut about 10 minutes off. I'm sure, you know, Drew, the radio guy, would have a little more to say. Uh, We're not going to cover recruiting because there's a certain amount of psychosis with me trying to predict the mindset of 18-year-olds. I do that every day on campus at South Alabama, so I just can't make myself do it for football. So I hope our listeners will, will, will accept that. But that's our show. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of BAMS Radio. We're going to release this one Thursday. So, you know, hopefully your tryptophan-induced coma or your Dallas Cowboys getting crushed by the Buffalo Bills coma will let you actually listen to some decent football and not some whatever the hell that shit show is in, in, in Austin. Or Dallas, excuse me, whatever it is. That's our show. 38-17 for me. 28-23 for Drew. And, William, what's your score one more time for the Iron Bowl? 28-17. 28-17 for William. Bama wins. T- bragging rights. I can throw Auburn fans out of my lab with a straight face. But we'll be back next week talking about what happened, what we saw in the Iron Bowl, and what to expect for Alabama's postseason. But until then, have a safe, tryptophan, coma-inducing Thanksgiving, and roll tide.